are we? Middle of a forest. Which one? I don't know. Look, I thought since we were doing an episode about the Cobalt Press content, you know, with the ancient magical forest, we should get in touch with nature a little to really inspire our characters. Like, take this stick. What kind of character does this make you think of? A uh, wizard, I guess. Uh, it kind of looks like a wand. Now, come on, look deeper. This could be a magical dagger used by a rogue that hides in the nests of huge birds and then drops down on his foes from above. Or, or this leaf could be the shield for a mouse folk paladin. Or any of these berries could be good berries. Oh, oh no. Uh, not good berries, I assume. Nope. Bad berries. Can you get us back? I don't know where we are. Sorry, bro. I just failed my save against poison. Hello? Can anyone help? We have a marginally successful podcast. Garen, you ready? It's about to drop. Do it. Dungeons and Dragons. Dan here. I started out in 5e. And me? I was sitting behind the DM screen. Yeah, that was three short years ago. I built a dragonborn fighter with no gusto. Fast forward a year. We're buying supplements and copping brand new gear. Incessantly making characters for one another. The only one who cared, of course, was our brother. Building new characters, score them all day. Each and every week, a brand new baby. How's their melee? How's their range? How's their magic? How controlling? How to range? That's not a category. Just keep going. Uh, I think we were here? Grab a comfy chair and a glass of mead. Another fresh episode in your feed. Other podcasts can be kinda drab. This ain't one, it's the Character Lab. Welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week we're bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content, and scoring it against a predefined table of criteria. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hey everybody, it's Dan. And I'm Garen. This week we're back on that cold ball press deal with their new chapter in the Midgard campaign setting, Tales of Old Margrave. Now, today, of course, we'll be talking about the Player's Guide, which has 57 pages of races, subclasses, spells, backgrounds, feats, items, and beasts. So every single one of our favorite things. This book is all nature-themed and had me right off the bat with the green color scheme and the characters all adorned in different types of wood. But then the book opens up with a short story titled, How to Rain Your Griffin. Now, that story comes complete with stat blocks for the NPC main character, Serapinicus Stonecloud, and his griffin, Swiftbeak. This is such a fun new book. Now, quality is a given, of course, but the subtle detail that sets Cobalt Press apart is the methodical way that they produce content to assure each major release will be a meaningful addition to their living campaign setting. I mean, Cobalt Press wants you to use the 5th edition rules, but play in their world. Now, we've been training Stephen Colbert in the arts of stealth for an occasion just like this, because we're about to enter our monthly competitive episode, and, uh, Garen, we need a prize. Don't worry, Dan, Stephen came through, and we have something very, very special that the winner between the two of us will receive this week. Well, before we get into all that, let me go ahead and introduce you this week to my character out of the Margrave Player's Guide, and that is Limei. Limei is an arena or hedgehog folk, for those of you not familiar with old Margrave. These reclusive little bandits tend not to be very talkative and stick together underground. 
Not much is known about their religion or their hobbies. There is rumor, though, that there is a rather large following of a shadow giant, a Shaodao. Interestingly enough, hedgehog folk are quite small, so this is an unlikely pairing. You see, the arena are fantastic hunters in the Margrave. They're nocturnal, so a majority of their hunting is done in the Vale of the Nighttime Shadows. How a Shaodao steps in, it's not very certain. He's nature-born from a fragmented thought of the primordial of Cholt, Ubtau. He was summoned by his followers to destroy the city of Mesro, but the resident Tabaxi held their own and fended him off. Because he was unsuccessful, he turned on his summoners, nearly wiping them out. He ever since has been celebrated by the victorious Tabaxi, which have since been passed to other anthropomorphics in the nearby regions as their enemy to their enemy, so kind of their friend, but not quite. It's believed that those who follow him most closely gain special powers used in the hunt, but only those whom he hates the most. This obviously benefits the tiny arena a great deal, as their size could benefit from a larger ally. Limei is one of the rumored hunters in the darkness, though no one has ever lived to tell the tale. It's believed that he can show up behind you in the blink of an eye, grapple you slowly, bleed you out with his spines, and drag you back to camp to feed his friends. But the tales are rather inconsistent, because others state that while you're bleeding out, a shadowy canine licks the blood that leaks from you, and some of the meat is taken straight off your hamstrings from the wily pooch. So if you manage to escape, you weren't getting anywhere fast. I, for one, don't know for sure. I mean, I, I do think it's probably wise to travel in the light of day if you ever visit old Margrave, but uh, once dusk settles in, you're on your own. Lime is a level 8 arena, which is a hedgehog folk hunter in the darkness warlock with the feral one background, which is a variant background out of the player's guide. Everything that I'm using in this episode is out of this player's guide, and man, is it a lot of fun. And yes, Garen, I broke a few rules and melded the Midgard setting with the Forgotten Realms. I'm more concerned about the fact that you took this adorable hedgehog folk and you made something evil out of it. What did you expect? You can't help yourself. You're compulsive at this point. I think we should basically just be white hat, black hat on this show, and then so the Team Dan guys know that they're also on the bad guys team. Yeah, it's fair to say that at this point. Why don't you go ahead and show us your knight in shining armor this week, Garen? Not exactly, but you'll see. No, 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 man. You aren't getting it. I used to be a tree, and I still am, too. Like, my ancestors were just regular trees, and then they decided to just up and start walking around. I mean, all that walking made their trunks, like, compress into spines or whatever, and after a couple thousand years, we were more like people-sized. So we're still trees because the sun feels good and birds like to nest in our heads. I mean, our heads aren't as big anymore, so then the birds have to build, like, studio nests instead of full penthouse, but it's cool because since we can move their little chickadees, uh, they can get to know their surroundings before they even take wings. So that is like a positive. But now, like right now, I'm basically the grand muckety-muck of all the owls. I mean, that's why I'm awake now, you know? Like, I gotta sleep through the day so I can handle all owl-related business when the sun goes down. I mean, it makes it difficult to find any sort of adventure party that wants to hang out with me, but in the long run, I think I'm kind of coming out ahead because, like, I've learned a lot about owls. You know, they're more interesting than you give them credit for. One reason owls stay up all night, you might not know this, is because they're fascinated with the daytime folks, but too afraid to interact. You know, they're introverted. 
So they watch you while you sleep and then try to learn from that. But now see, since I've got their trust, they're quite eager to learn everything they can from me in the ways of humanoids. Plus, being a bit of an outsider myself, I can have a totally objective view of the subject, which gives me quite the aplomb. Now, you're welcome to listen to my next lecture. I plan to address the way humanoids are so eager to be entertained by, well, really anything. I mean, sometimes just hearing other people talk gives them pleasure. So I am bringing to the lab Burble, B-R-B-L, which is the name right out of the player's guide. He is a level eight druid circle of owls. He is the piney race, which as I described are humanoids, but they're essentially descended from treants. He has the entertainer background out of the player's handbook. And he is my first druid in a while, and it feels so good to be getting back to this. Man, you're right back at home, Garen. I, I wonder if all of your druid supplies are stocked up. I am running a little low, but there's no need to scour the wilds to find those goods that I need for the table because I can just head over to Tabletop Loot. I mean, their site is full of all the essentials, and they got even more heart. This store has shirts, mugs, tote bags, and hordes and hordes of dice. What really makes them special is they regularly support gaming in schools by having sales where every dice set purchased means one will be donated to a school gaming program. What's more, their dice selection can't be beat. Now, of course, we can't talk about all of them, so I have highlighted the one that I would use when playing Burble. I chose Blue Drake. It is a blue and black swirl with gold lettering, and I picked this because, to me, that's what Fantasy Owl's eyes would look like. So when you click the link in our show notes to get a set for your next character, use the code LABRAT, L-A-B-R-A-T, to get 15% off your total purchase. This works on everything except the Metal Norse Foundry dice. So grab some fresh loot and go hoot hoot hoot. <laughs> Oh, very creative. Thank you, Garen and Tabletop Loot, for that message. Now for the most boring part of our show. If you're just joining us, this is where I'll explain the format. Now, we have nine categories in which we've prepared arguments for, and in each we will state why our character deserves a score between a negative two and a positive two. A positive two is having a sweet druid grove with moss hammock for chillin', and a minus two is falling in the forest and nobody hears. Or cares. Just die already. Additionally, once per show, each of us will be able to force the other to roll for the score in which they're arguing for as a charisma saving throw using the charisma score of the character in which we're using. And then at the end of the show, whoever has the most points wins. Now it's time for the nitty gritty with the melee category, and I'll go ahead and start it off. Argonaut plus one. Lee May has a quarter staff with a plus three to hit, deals out 1d6 plus one. He's also got spines, which deal out 2d4 damage at the beginning of his turn whenever he's grappled or grappling. And also, as a Pact of the Chain Warlock, my familiar for the Hunter in the Darkness is actually a hunting hound made out of shadow, and it uses the statistics of a wolf, which is a 2d4 plus 2. I think that's pretty cool. Worthy of a plus 1. A lot of unique features here. Okay, but how does the hunting wolf act? Do you have to use your turn to command it? Do you use a bonus action? What's going on there? Well, it, it's a familiar, so it follows the same rules as the Pact of the Chain warlock so yeah you have to use your action for it to it's just a little bit more powerful but you got options is what you're saying i've got options i would probably be using that wolf uh, a heck of a lot more than my quarterstaff for instance right on okay but but if i had to get into the mix i'd be spining fools yeah the spine is very very cool just not terribly scary your backstory made it sound like you were assassinating with those spines but it's like 1d4 so I'm all it's right. It's 2d4. Get out of here. Oh, oh no. Look, I think we're about equal here. So if you want to go one and one or zero and zero, I don't really care. But 
I have got my scimitar, plus two to hit, 1d6, minus one. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I'm all about those wild shapes, and I brought a couple new wild shapes into the lab that we have not previously tried. And I'm talking about a crag cat, which is a large beast. And it has got pounce, it's got bite, it's got claw, and then I got the giant rocktopus. That's a rock octopus. It's got tentacles, and it grapples the creature on hit. So, with my variety, of course, as a wild shape, I think we're wait, even wait. on this. Wait, wait, can you tell me a little bit more about this rocktopus, if you don't mind? Give me the full stat block, if you could. No, so listeners, what Dan is trying to do is get inside information, because in our next Out of the Abyss session, we're most likely going to encounter a rocktopus, and we were supposed to have that session already, but it had to be canceled due to child sickness. <laughs> So this wasn't supposed to be a surprise, but now Dan is trying to get a peek behind the curtain. So no on the stat block? Unless you're going to fight me on my score. <laughs> All right, so let's go zero for zero. Garen, why don't you go ahead and take us into ranged? How does your druid do in ranged? As an owl, I imagine fairly well. I mean, I get why you say that. Because of flying and stuff? Yeah. But no. <laughs> I I did not take a ranged weapon, and none of my class features involve any sort of ranged combat, so I do have to pass on this one. Okay, minus two. I'm going to argue a zero here. I have a short bow with a 1d6 plus two piercing damage, but also I have mentioned that I have this wolf. The wolf can get away from me a bit. I can handle my ranged with that wolf a bit, so I, I think it's an even zero. Okay, that's fair, but we are also on the second category now that you've used the wolf, so going into burning, keep that in mind. Wolfy wolf, wolf, wolf. Wolf on Wall Street. Wolf with Jack Nicholson. So for burninating, I'm arguing a plus one. Uh, I have Sickening Radiance, Shadow of Moyle, Blight, and then I have a an evocation cantrip out of this supplement called Hamstring, and it allows you to create a barbed arrow of eldritch energy and send it at a target that you can see within range, uh, which is 60 feet. You make a ranged mm. spell attack against the target, and on a hit, it take 2d4 force damage. And that target can no longer take reactions until the end of its next turn. I uh, I really like this because it takes away something that you don't often see. I, I'm liking these third-party... If you guys, if you've been listening to this show, you know I like it when third-party publishers play with the reaction because I really don't think that Wizards does enough with it, so... You talk about it every week now. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's almost reactionary. Oh, gosh. So what do you think for a plus one? Yeah, that that's a plus one. Look... I was thinking that I could squeak out a zero on this category because of how cool the spell is, but I'm not feeling too strong about that right now, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. It's called Legion of Rabbit Squirrels, Ooh. and it used the stat block for Swarm of Poisonous Snakes, so it's got an AC of 14, 36 hit points, and it has got a bite attack that does piercing damage, and the target must succeed on a DC 10 con save or take poison damage. I love the fact that it's rabbit squirrels. It's just so silly. There's a little bit of um, fun flavor mixed in with this very, you know, very serious toned forest book here. And this is a concentration spell, I take it? It is not. So that's actually pretty cool. So I want to touch on this. I actually think you are worthy of a zero because you have, you said 36 hit points and an AC of 14. You've got a bite attack that does bonus damage and you conjure this thing up. You don't have to concentrate on it, which allows you to cast more spells in the control area, which I feel you're probably going to be pretty heavy. Yep. And this thing can pretty much act as its own entity, which is pretty beefy. It's kind of a spell that lasts longer than just one round. 
So yeah, you're definitely worthy of a zero with that. I okay. really like that. Okay, exactly. That's what I was saying. I don't know why you were second guessing me. Obviously, that's a good spell. So take us into control. I feel like you're going to be the master of your domain here. So let's hear it. Well, first of all, you mentioned there were items in this book. So I had to go peruse that section, do a little shopping. And Burble the Piney picked up the Moon Through the Trees, which is a rare item. While I'm within 20 feet of a living tree, I can use a bonus action to become invisible for one minute. I then use a bonus action to become visible again. And every creature of my choice must succeed on a DC 15 con save or become blinded for one minute. They can repeat the save at the end of their turns, and then at which point they will become immune for 24 hours. So you can't just keep spamming this ability to blind people all the time. I like the balance. I've also got a second level spell called Nip at the Heels, where I create, I think you're going to love this, illusory dogs that bother a target and distract them and give disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls. They can try and save on the casting and at the end of every turn. Very neat. But it's just like a bunch of little shadow maxes bothering them while they're trying to fight. I've also got a cantrip called Hobble, where I trap a target within 30 feet. They must succeed on a deck save or their speed is halved. And my sixth level feature of the Circle of Owls is Owl's Eyes, where I can cast Clairvoyance once per long rest with no material components and using it as one action, don't have to maintain concentration. It could be an invisible sensor like the spell dictates, or I can make it a visible owl, of course, just for flavor. Yeah, cool. And so does that ability require you to use a spell slot? No. That's also pretty neat. So I'm arguing a plus two. Now, Garen, I really like your control category, but it's been a while since I got really, really listy. Unfortunately, I couldn't avoid it. I'm stacked and I'm stacked, stacked. I'm sure control. your hands were tied. It's not like you chose all this stuff. <laughs> all right, I'm arguing a plus two, and I think you'll see that you're more of a plus one in comparison, unfortunately, because I really like those. Hey, that was a very polite way to say the line you always say. I have clairvoyance, like you, non-detection, silent image, which is at will thanks to one of my invocations. I have compulsion, ghostly gaze invocation, which allows me to see through solid objects at a range of 30 feet. <laughs> I have one with shadows, which allows me to become invisible if I'm in dim light or darkness until I move or take an action. I also have Instant Snare, which is an original second level spell out of this supplement, which is exactly what it sounds like. You create a trap, uh, they take a deck save, or they get pulled upside down into the air. I can create three of those at one time, casting it at the fourth level as a warlock. I like that there's a bunch of those. That's fun. That is fun. The duration is also 24 hours, so oh. adds a lot of fun flavor into this build. And also, I kind of like this nature-themed warlock. We'll get more into this in the X-Factor, but this has a lot of druid flavor to it. Uh, I think that you're going to see throughout this, uh, this conversation. Um, I also took an original feat out of this supplement called Stalker, which means you're an expert at hunting prey. You're never more at home than when on a hunt, and your quarry rarely escapes you. You gain the following benefits, which is proficiency in the stealth and survival skills, and you have advantage on wisdom saves uh, survival checks made to track a creature you've seen in the last 24 hours. Now, you pair that with something called Harry, which is a fourth level enchantment spell out of this supplement, and... You instill an irresistible sense of insecurity and terror in a target. The target must make a wisdom saving throw, and on a failed save, they have disadvantage on stealth checks to avoid your survival checks to track them. The target can also not take a long rest, 
Terrified you are just around the corner, the target can repeat the saving throw once every 10 minutes, ending the spell on a success. Now, on a successful save, the target is not affected, and you can't use this spell again on that target for 24 hours. But if you managed to land this on a target, and then I had that with my feet, not only would they have disadvantage on the stealth checks, I'd have advantage on the track. So, pretty much no way that I would fail. I also cheated, Garen. There are items in this supplement. I took the Rowan Staff, which is very rare. It gives a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls, which gives me that 1d6 plus one. It also gave me a plus three to hit. Not very impressive, but what is impressive is while holding it, you have advantage on saving throws against spells. It has 10 charges for the following properties, uh, and it also regains 1d4 plus one expended charges daily at midnight. Blah, bitty, blah, bitty, blah. If you run out of charges, you roll a one. The staff loses all of its properties, kind of similar to any magic item you've ever used with charges. Um, but basically, you can expend a charge to cast Animate Dead or Deanimate, which you can use to strike an undead creature. They must make a DC 17 constitution saving throw or revert to an inanimate pile of bones or corpse in its space. So that's pretty neat. And finally, I have Savage Hunter, which is a feature of this subclass and starting at first level when you reduce a hostile creature to zero hp its nearest ally within 30 feet of you must make a wisdom saving throw against your warlock spell save dc or be frightened of you until the end of its next turn I, i'm sorry i'm not done yet i have looping trail which is a fourth level transmutation and it allows you to basically uh and like if say you're walking on a path you can just twist that path around into an endless trail that's basically what you can do uh, it lasts eight hours and it takes a minute for you to actually cast it yeah, I like that spell. You can definitely mess with some people using that spell by getting them stuck on that. Uh, I was going to put that in my Spitting Fire, but now the surprise is gone. So my Spitting Fire will be different when we get to that part of the show. <laughs> I have a, another feature of the Hunter in the Darkness Warlock, which is called Step into Shadow, which at 6th level allows you to disappear into darkness and reappear next to an enemy. Kind of like Shadow Step for the Shadow Monk. Um, and then as a bonus action while you're in the dim light or darkness, you can disappear in a puff of inky smoke and reappear in an unoccupied space that is also dim light or darkness within 5 feet of a creature within 30 feet. If the creature is frightened and you make a melee weapon attack against it, you have advantage on the attack roll. Once you use that feature, you can't use it again until you finish a short rest. And then, last but not least, I have Hobble, which is an evocation cantrip. It allows you to create an ethereal trap in the space of a target you can see within range. The target must succeed on a deck saving throw, or its speed is halved until the end of its next turn, which, again, if I am tracking, they get disadvantage on the on the stealth check. I get advantage on the, on the uh, nature check to track them, and then I just throw in Hobble. I'm right behind them, I'm tracking them, and they're not able to go anywhere because they're slowed down so this is a very menacing hunter very very cool flavor on this i'm already gonna resounding plus two because that was a litany of features and i apologize for the listiness you were preparing so much for that control category you didn't even listen when i said that i had hobble since you're even taking some of my spells how do i argue with that Ugh, that's a two to one division i was feeling good about this episode but i think i kind of forgot how weak of a start i have so i guess we'll see where the rest of this goes so plus two then yeah well you know what why don't you roll after all that because i think after that whole list not even the die is going to want to give you that plus two Lime is just a cute little ball of hedgehog. He's got an 18 charisma, so I need a 13 or better to get my plus two for that DC 17. I rolled a two. There we go. I would just write that one right there, you stupid. So one to one then. That's right. And tanky category. Go ahead. All right. Not nearly as impressive. I have 80 HP with an AC of 13. And my wolf has an AC of 13 and 11 hit points. 
that's all I've got. I'm arguing a zero. And a zero you shall get. In comparison to you, I would like to argue for a plus two because I also have 80 HP. I have an AC of 14. Obviously, I got the wild shape, and my second level feature is called On Silent Wings. I can take the hide action even when a creature is looking directly at me and I'm not obscured. Then, I remain hidden until the end of my next turn, at which point, if I haven't found something to obscure me, I'm no longer hidden. And I get it equal to my wisdom modifier between long rests, which is a plus four. That is a pretty tanky move. It's a tanky move, and I like that you have wild shape but and, and that feature, but mm, is it really two points better than me because you have the same HP, you've got the same AC? But my wild shape means that my modified HP is like 140. Is this how we're going to argue now? This is the competitive episode, Dan. Yeah. So... I was most competitive when I was four. You can attest to this. You have a four-year-old. Very competitive. Does not like to lose a Candyland. She punched you straight in the nads. That was a total power move. Yeah, I was a pirate, and she was Wendy. And apparently Wendy just delivers haymakers right to the pirate's jewels. <laughs> yeah, Garen, I, I guess I guess you're a plus two. I'm going to make you roll here because druids are really tough to argue against in tankiness. Okie dokie. Just a plus one to my charisma modifier, so I need luck. And I did not get it. I was going to say you're rather unlikable on today's episode. <laughs> I did get a 13, though, so much better roll than you. Not going to be enough. All right, well then take us into ally assist. How do you help your friends? I got a few features here that I could definitely help your warlock out, you know, if we could just play fair for the rest of this episode. Let's start, though, with my first level spell, Mud Pact, where it takes one action, and for one hour I cover myself or a willing creature with mud consistent with the terrain, protection from extreme heat and cold, and advantage on stealth checks while moving slowly. I have also got a first level spell as a bonus action called Cure Beast. So if your wolf is feeling a little hurt, I can cure 1d6 plus my wisdom, which is 4, at a range of up to 60 feet. If your wolf was a real wolf and not some sort of magical beast, I could revive it with a second level spell called Revive Beast. I bring it back to 1 hit point, and that does not fix old age. And then finally, I have got Tree Heal, which is a cantrip. It takes one action, it heals 1d4 hit points, or it removes disease or pests. It can only be done on a plant once every 24 hours, but if we have any sort of plant-based allies, like a treant, that's a free heal, not even using a spell slot. So I opted for these spells as opposed to any sort of humanoid affecting spells, because as I said in my backstory, my guy's kind of a loner, just hangs out with animals. But I still like what I got going on here, arguing a plus two. It's going to be tough for me to buck that plus two, so go ahead and write that down, because I'm arguing a zero. I've got a spell called Bloodhound, which is a first level transmutation, but I'm able to cast it at a fourth level, which also grants blind sight to a willing creature in addition to advantage on checks that rely on smell and survival checks to follow tracks. So a lot of the features that I have, I can grant to my friend along with blind sight. That's pretty neat. And then I also have a feature of my variant background, the feral one, which is called The Forest Provides. And it reads, having spent most of your life within the forest providing for yourself, you've learned how to forage, hunt, and fish well enough to ensure that your survival in the forest. If you spend two hours investigating game trails, spore, and foliage in a forest, you're able to procure enough food to feed yourself and up to four others for a day. In addition, you're able to determine if any water you find in the forest is potable. I think this is actually a pretty underrated feature because that's good berry, baby. I think that's worthy of a zero. Some pretty cool stuff there. Not a strong zero, but still a zero. 
I think non-potable water would be an interesting thing to really lean into in a campaign because you can find it, but you can't drink it. And if you don't have a paladin or a cleric that can purify it, you're just in a tough spot. You're burning it then. You're, you're, you're well, Garen, it. as a DM, enforcing something that like that wouldn't gain you a whole lot of friends. But before we leave the ally assist category, we do have one of our friends, Mr. E64, who left us a review on July the 4th. And it reads, enter the lab. Every D&D player I know has the same bad habit. I have all these cool character ideas, but I'll never get to play all of them. Well, Garen and Dan took that habit beat it into submission, and turned it into an incredible podcast. Not only are these guys funny, their bickering and occasional cheating is part of the charm, but they've become surprisingly great resource for third-party 5th edition content. That's the whole goal, Garen. Starting with just basic 5e, they've expanded into making characters using books from Cobalt Press, who's featured this week, the DMs Guild, Adventurers in Middle-Earth, and many more. I can't say enough good things about these guys, so check them out today. Well, thank you, Mr. E64. I hope you find your long-lost brother, Mr. N64. Yes, please tell him that I miss him. But not that much. No, no, I got Switch now, so he's kind of old. <laughs> that said, let's take it right into balance. Like that review, nice and balanced. And guys, if you want to have your review read on our show, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll get to it. Now, moving into balance, Lee May, I'm arguing a plus one. I've got a strength of eight, which is why I'm arguing a plus one and not a plus two. Dexterity of 14, con of 14, intelligence of 13, wisdom of 10, and charisma of 18. Uh, This Rowan staff also throws the balance off a little bit. I also apologize. My shadow hound is going nuts he's found something in the forest here that he likes or i'm sorry was did you cast ankle nipper is that what it is nip at the heels i always have that casted on you ever since i learned that spell oh okay you know i i do have proficiency in deception at a plus seven nature perception stealth with a plus five survival with a plus three spell save dc of 15 and a plus seven to hit i'm not liking the move speed of the arena at 25 feet uh but i do have resistance to poison which I failed to mention during tankiness, but it wouldn't have helped anything. So, nah. not not perfectly balanced. I, I think that any time that you have a character that is sub-10 in strength, it's kind of a detriment, because strength saving throws come up a fair amount. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting grappled or thrown around, I guess. I don't know, if you're trying to open a door. There should be somebody in the group that's not you to handle the door. But it's also not me, because I was also going to argue a one with my strength of 8, Dex of 9, Con of 15, Intelligence of 14, Wisdom of 19, and Charisma of 13. I have seven proficiencies, though, between my background and my class features. I'm feeling pretty good about mine. I got the same spellcasting save and two hit as you, so I think we're pretty even here. Okay. So then, with that said, I think it's time to move into our smooth operator scenario for this week, which was submitted by none other than the man, the legend, Mr. Ben Potts. It reads... Your party visits the pet store and... Oh my god, that puppy's adorable! I must have it! Your mind melts into mush and you see the peppy pup before you. Never mind that he's a blink dog and he'll be impossible to keep up with. You must have him. It becomes quickly obvious, however, that every other party member wants the dog too. And, uh, well, the DM would rather that nobody gets it. How do you convince the other and the smooth talk the DM into letting you keep this precious pooch? Okay, so Ben wants us to metagame here. He says right there, how do you convince the DM and the DM doesn't want you to have it? So what I do is I ask the DM if I can take them aside. I slide a beer across the table and I explain to them that this blink dog thing isn't going to entirely derail their campaign. Well, if they handle it correctly. 
I tell them to think of the Blink Dog like Blink-182. Right now, it's all anyone could talk about, like Blink-182 was in the early thousands, late 90s. But even those who don't care much appreciate how popular it is. So if they were to pull Blink-182 off the radio without explanation, there would be uproar. The party would be constantly bringing up how you didn't let that happen and how great it would have been. So instead, let the people have Blink-182, let them get tired of it, and leave it by the wayside. So by giving me the Blink Dog, it's part of the party, and everyone gets their fix, and then eventually it kind of fades away and is occasionally remembered fondly, just like Blink-182. I'm arguing a plus one. What's your persuasion modifier? That's a good question. It's a plus one. I mean, like you as Garen. Oh, oh, I'm very persuasive. I mean, what's your number? I am a 17 in persuasion. You're plus 17? No, just a 17, so it's a plus three. That's not how that works. Persuasion is not an ability, it's a skill. So that's not all at all how that I works. I meant I have yeah. a 17 in charisma. Right. <laughs> plus, my, plus my proficiency is a three, so it's a plus six. Okay, so roll. You I like how see... I got the rules correct on that very simple question? You read the review. We know 5e. Hold on. I dropped the dice. Oh, I rolled a 17. That's exactly what the universe wanted. So I think with a 23, I can convince him to give me the dog, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Blink-182. Okay, how uh, how would I do this? It's simple. I would have my shadow pooch snuggle up with that doggy and start making whimpering sounds when the pooch walks away or blinks to another plane or whatever he does. I say that I've never seen my wolf so sad before. I say this as player, Dan. And I'm like, man, I've never seen my wolf so sad before. I uh, I honestly think that Lee May has to have it just so that these two can, you know, pal around for the remainder of the campaign. I understand this is a weak argument, and so I'm arguing a zero. Okay, what's your deception? Oh, I mean, I BS my way through life, so I'd say I've got at least a plus five. Okay, so go ahead and roll that for me. Oh, that's a natty one. <laughs> oh, no. So uh, so a minus one on your smooth operator then? Yeah, yeah, it's a minus one. The aggressive portion reads, a fight breaks out as each party member scrambles to steal the dog for themselves while the manager attempts to get you all out of the store. How do you take the pup by force? So I would use looping trail to make sure that the rest of the party was just left chasing the pooch in a trail of perpetuity within the store. And by the time they figured it out that it was it would be too late because I tracked that pooch with proficiency with my feet and using hobble to slow that thing down. Yeah. I think it's a plus one. Yeah, that's a plus one. And you also use looping trails, so I'm really glad I didn't have that in that category now. All right, uh, I have one spell that I'm going to use here, and I'm arguing a plus one, too. I have a spell called Quick Time where I could do this to a willing creature, but if it's not a willing creature, they must succeed on a con save, and I age them by one year. So I touch the dog, boom, it's not a puppy anymore, now it's not cute, problem solved. Come on, there's no way you're gonna get the same as me for that. All you did was make them go in a circle. I used three total features from this supplement. All right, but those were things that were in previous categories. Mine was an original spell. Yeah, 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 all right, I'll take your one. All right. So, moving to X-Factor, this is the unscored portion of our show where we basically talk about, would you play this character within a campaign? Does it feel right to you? Garen? Yes. Yes. There were three druids in this book, and this one was my favorite, especially because all the features were so beautifully themed to the owl. 
I want to address them again really quickly. So I had Silent Wings at, at second level, which allows me to hide. Owl's Eyes at sixth level, which allows me to have clairvoyance. And then at tenth level, I would get Shadow Flight, which allows you to cast Etherealness without expending a spell slot once per long rest. These all feel really nice to being an owl. You get bonus proficiencies to stealth or deception, and it's using content that already exists in the fifth edition game. So it's not new things to learn. It's just drawing from content that you already know and love. So I think that's win-win. What about you? I have to say, you know, there is no more solid third-party publisher than Cobalt Press. I think you can agree with that. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. When I see a new Cobalt Press supplement, this is exactly what I think of, is just a bunch of different character options uh, within one supplement that it makes it a really, really hard time. I'm sure you experienced the same thing I did of mulling through this book and going, man, I'd, I'd like to build that, I'd like to build that, I'd like to build that. I could probably do four episodes on this supplement alone. Oh, I am definitely coming back into the lab someday with the magical wizard archer. You guys, wait do you see this one. Yeah, there's just so much good flavor that you're able to really flesh out a character concept just through the features and then you can pair it with the spells just the flavor and the uniqueness of a lot of the stuff that's featured here is really really enjoyable and that's what makes you know cobalt press just one of my favorite third-party publishers so uh, hats off to the gang over there another top-notch third-party supplement and garen if listeners want to pick up this supplement where would they get it and how much does it cost I don't know that the sale will be going on much longer, but as of this recording, it is available for $9.74 over on DriveThruRPG. That is the Margreve, M-A-R-G-R-E-V-E, Player's Guide for 5th Edition. When it goes back up to its regular price, it is only $12.99, which is not a lot for the 57 pages of content. Also written by Dennis Suter, John Sawatsky, Lou Anders, Matt Corley, and Mike Wellham. This is a fantastic book. And this was a fantastic episode, and I'm glad we both liked our characters because I won a competitive episode again. Queaked by with a 5-4 to four because you let me have that spitting fire, which wasn't worthy of the plus one, but don't live in the past. Oh. So my trophy case is getting awfully swole at this point, and I am so pleased to be adding this to my collection. Stephen Colbert was able to move in the night with a pair of tiny manicure scissors in his muscle, and he has clipped off a lock of Wolfgang Bauer's chocolatey hair. And I am going to put it in a locket, and I am going to wear it around my neck for future recordings, and it's going to hang close to my sternum and hopefully bring me D&D luck. Is that a handheld fan? Are you making the hair blow? I do want to see it blow in the wind. Yeah. Put a sparkle filter over the gauze. Put a gauzy filter over the camera. No, you just put gauze on the hair. Well, this has turned somewhat grotesque, so Gary. Thank you, you Wolfgang. uh... You don't know which section you lost, but I will cherish it forever. And thank you, Cobalt Press, for continuing to create such fun content. As we said, it's very thematic. I feel like the subclasses always fit the flavor of what they're trying to create. And for a rich roleplay experience, this is very, very important. We were talking a couple weeks ago about how great it is to choose your spell list that fit the theme, but... When all the features just fit that perfectly, you can really get immersed much deeper in your character. So don't change a thing, Cobalt Press. Keep doing what you're doing. You don't need us to tell you that. But guys, here in the lab, next week we'll be returning to another author that we've had on the show before, and that is Connor McCall, who we previously featured his work, The Book of Dragons, and now we'll be showing off Tome of Warfare. Until next week, guys, remember when it comes to character creation, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Lab, and all episodes for that matter. Yeah, but if you left this episode just wanting more, you can join us on Patreon for tons of bonus content. At our lowest tier, you can join our Discord and participate in fan battles and have access to all PDF content that we post. You can even chat with us throughout the day. For just a little bit more, you get two bonus episodes a month and access to the entire backlog of Fight Clubs, Monster Labs, and special interviews that we've been pumping out since March of 2018. Patrons in the next tier get early access to our regular show, sometimes as much as nine days prior to release date. They also get PDFs of the character sheets for the characters that we've built in the 2019 episodes and beyond, and they can submit a smooth operator or spitting fire charisma scenario that we will use in each and every episode. And our top, top tier patrons get merch a couple times a year, have a chance to submit characters, and can sway the fates with automatic crits and fails on our charisma rolls during the show. At any level, we hope to bring you more fun. We love working working on this show and the support of our patrons helps continue to make it better. If you're digging the new audio production that began in 2019, just know that it wouldn't be possible without those that already donate. And we have more plans to beef up the lab and we need your help to do it. But however you support us, we thank you. We hope to have you back next week. Head over to our Facebook and Twitter at DD Character Lab for some previews of what to expect and lots of links to other great community content. Until Wednesday, peace, love, and point by. American um, Swamp Wolf in Paris. Yeah. Guys, if you haven't seen it, it's a movie by the Lab Boys on YouTube. Mm. Streaming now.